we are we are going through a series of um, parables, and a couple weeks ago we discussed the parable of that Jesus tells of hiding a lamp. Nobody lights a lamp and hides it away. And we talked about the fact that light reveals things. It's meant to reveal things, and because it's meant to reveal things, it's shouldn't be hidden. It should be put out to where it can do the revealing, where it can do the work that it's supposed to do. Today, we're going to look at the same parable, but a different parable. Jesus, this is one of Jesus's favorite parables because he uses it multiple times. But every time there's a little bit different spin on it. Every time it's a, it's a little bit different lesson that it, it teaches us. And so what I want to do today is look in Luke chapter 11 and discover another side to that little light that shouldn't be hidden. Luke 11, this morning we're going to read from verses 33 through 36. This is God's Word, and if you let it, it will change your life. Luke eleven thirty three 33 says, No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. Father, illuminate us by your word this morning. Help us to understand it. Help us to know it. Help us to apply it. In Jesus' name, amen. Luke 11 is a day in the life sort of a chapter in the life of Jesus. Um, uh, it, it shows a lot of the various things that he does and some of the reactions that people give to him. At the very beginning of the chapter, he starts teaching and one of the disciples says, teach us how to pray. Now, asking Jesus to teach you how to pray is like asking Michael Jordan to teach you how to dunk a basketball. He's the expert. If there's anyone that is in a good position to tell you how to pray, it would obviously have been Jesus Christ. So, so they say, teach us how to pray. And Jesus teaches them how to pray. He gives, in Luke, it's a shorter version, but in Matthew, it's the longer version that we call the Lord's Prayer. But then right on the heels of that, he teaches them that God wants to give you good things. Even bad people can give good gifts. How much more so the good Father in heaven can give the best gifts. And all we have to do all that is expected of us is to ask in faith. He teaches that right on the heels of that. He's casting out a demon from a mute man. And we talked about this a few weeks ago on Wednesday night. He cast out this demon, and as soon as he cast it out, they start saying, well, I, he obviously must have satanic powers to cast out these demons. I mean, can't you do anything right? <laughs> I mean, this guy was mute. He couldn't talk. He'd spent much of his life, maybe, maybe even all of his life, unable to speak. And yet, Jesus heals him, and the only thing that comes to their mind is, he's, he's exercising demonic powers. Not only that, he takes that as an opportunity to teach. He teaches them that you're either on God's side or you're on Satan's. A house divided against itself cannot stand. I'm giving you obvious examples, proof, positive, that I am doing God's work, that I am sent by Him. 
you still won't believe. The, con- the chapter continues. Somebody in the crowd speaks up, a woman. And she says, blessed is the mother that gave birth to you. How incredible it must have been to be your mama. And he says, no, 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 no. Blessed are the ones who hear the word of God and do it. Then, then the sign of Jonah. Crowds are increasing. And as Jesus is seeing the crowds increase, he reads the crowd and he realizes that most of these people are here for the show. One thing I like about this church, we're not here for the show. I hate to tell you this, but you don't get much of a show. But we're not here for the show, are we? We're here for the Lord. But many of those folks were there for the show. Demanding sign after sign after sign, wanting Him to do thing after thing after thing. Even though He already was giving them signs. Even though He already was fulfilling prophecies. Even though He already was healing the blind and the mute and the deaf, the lame and even the dead. Even though he's doing all the things that Messiah ought to be doing, they're still asking for proof. Still wanting something, some proof positive. A neon flashing sign in heaven that says, this is the Messiah, this is the Messiah, this is the Messiah. And so he says, you're not getting a sign. Well, except the sign of Jonah. And then he says something interesting. He says, the queen of the south will rise to condemn this generation. Because she was willing to go from far to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And this generation won't hear it when it's right in front of their face. Not only that, the people of Nineveh will rise in judgment against this generation. Because the people of Nineveh repented. You didn't even have to have a good prophet. You had Jonah, the prophet who said no and no and no to God. All every step of the way. He's refusing to do things God's way. And yet, yet, the people of Nineveh still repented because God still worked through the preaching of His Word even though it was a terrible prophet. Doesn't that make you feel good? That God can work through you even when you're not exactly prime material to be used. And yet, this generation sees something so much better than Jonah. A prophet so much more faithful, so much more pure, so much more true, and they won't repent. Even the heathen with a bad prophet will repent of their sins. And those folks have God in human flesh, the Word incarnate in front of their face, and they will not repent. That's the context in which Jesus tells this parable. This is a generation that will not repent. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? Because because we're in a generation that will not repent. We're in a generation that refuses to repent and in fact wants to shout out its sin from the rooftops as though it's some grand accomplishment. But don't get me wrong, that's not just 20-somethings. That was true of your generation when you were 20-something. It'll be true of my kids' generations when they're 20-something. And their kids. It's been true of all of human history. In spite of the great efforts that God has gone through, we as a people, we as a society as a whole, have refused to repent of our sin. Now that doesn't mean nobody's repenting. But y'all, genuine believers... The faithful to God have always been in the minority. Never in the majority. And so I tell you, this generation stands in the same spot 
that Jesus' generation stood in, face to face with the true Word of God, with the choice of whether or not they will repent. And it's obvious, well, because the cat's out of the bag. Let me, let me, there's a pattern here. Jesus is teaching, he's healing, he's doing his ministry, and people who should be repenting, people who should recognize it, people who should be on top of it, who should absolutely know from a mile away that this is God's man, refuse to accept it. They've always been in the majority. If Jesus heals, he must be using some sort of satanic powers. If he's teaching, he must be wrong. If he doesn't follow the proper protocols for washing his hands, he must be a heathen. That, by the way, happens right after this passage. If Jesus is responding to accusations, then he's insulting. No matter what Jesus does, no matter what he says, he's always the bad guy. By the way, if you find that other people are always the bad guy, you're probably misdiagnosing who the bad guy is. If it's never you and it's always someone else, then you need to take a good long look in the mirror because it's probably you. That's the context that we find this parable. This parable that Jesus has talked about before. So verse 33 sounds real familiar, right? We've already talked about it within the last couple of weeks. Your eye, uh, no one lighting a lamp, excuse me, puts it in a cellar or under a basket. You don't light a lamp and hide it. You put it out so that everybody can see. We all kind of get that understanding. But this time, instead of focusing on the light as revealing, what Jesus does is he turns it more personal. Look in verse 34. Your eye is the lamp of your body. It looks like Jesus is mixing up parables here. He was talking about a lamp, now he's talking about an eye. Which one is it? Well, actually he's not mixing up anything. You see, there's a parallel here. The eye was, in the ancient mindset, not the organ that took in light in order for you to see. Like it does, It's not the way the ancients thought of it. It's not that the eye takes in all the light sends the signals to the brain, the brain interprets it and figures out what you're seeing. That's not how it worked in their minds. In their minds, the eye was an outlet, not an inlet. In other words, the things that were deep down within you, the things that were in your soul, the things that were in the heart of your person could be seen through your eyes. Think about it. You're tired, you're scared, you're frightened, you're excited, you're happy, you're worried. All these things show up in your eyes, don't they? Now, it's not just in your eyes. It's in your whole face. But especially in your eyes. Let me give you an example of this. Carrie, you have the most beautiful eyes. They sparkle. They light up a room. But when she's sick, her eyes don't sparkle. Still beautiful, but you can look in her eyes and tell. Her eyes give away everything. And so when she's staring at me with those looks that could kill... Uh, she actually is trying to kill me. Uh, so don't get in the way. I'm just warning you. But in all seriousness, her eyes, it, it, you look at her eyes and you can tell instantly how she's doing. And that's how it is with many of us. We have this, we have this uh, saying today that actually goes along with this. The eye is the window of the soul. Have y'all heard that? And, that? and there's a lot of truth to that. You can look at someone's eyes and you can tell just how they are. And just like light, just like a lamp, that's lit, that's on a stand, that reveals everything around, so the eyes reveal what is in your heart. 
The eye reveals the character of the individual. In fact, the eye is talked about several times in scriptures. It can be set on good. In Deuteronomy 6.8, God tells Israel to put His law between your eyes. Why? So that you'll have something to wear on your head? No. So that God's law will always be in your field of vision. You will always see what God has said and always remember God's words. So that everything you do, everything you see and perceive, Everything that you go about doing, God's law is always in front of you. Now, Jews took that literally. And they'll wear what's called the Tephilim. Right here. With a copy of Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. A copy of that in there to remember God's laws. To remember them every day. Every time they speak. Every time they look somewhere. Every time they see anything. It's almost as if it's a pair of glasses that shades the way that they view the world. What a beautiful picture of what God's law ought to be to us. It ought to be the way that we perceive, the way that we interpret things that are around us. Eyes can be set on good. Eyes can be opened in understanding or knowledge. You think about the two men on the road to Emmaus. They're walking with Jesus and Jesus is asking, what what are y'all talking about? And they're like, They're like, haven't you heard? Have you been living under a rock or something? Don't you know all the stuff that's going on? And he says, well, what's going on? And they tell him all about this Jesus guy. And they don't know they're talking to that Jesus guy. And then when they get to their home, they bid him to come in. He comes in, he breaks bread, and their eyes are opened. And they realize who it is they're talking to. Eyes can be opened in understanding and knowledge. It's God who opens the eyes of the blind, both the physical and the spiritual blind. Eyes. It was before the eyes of Israel that God worked the plagues in Egypt, doing the mighty works to rescue them from the hand of Pharaoh, to miraculously deliver them from the house of slavery. Generation after generation after generation, remembering what those Israelites saw with their very eyes. But eyes can also be set on evil. One of the worst descriptions in all of Scripture of man who is rebellious against God is that he does, quote, what is right in his own eyes. says it several times in Judges. says it throughout the Scripture. It says that kings that were good did all that was right in the eyes of the Lord as their father David had done. But those who had done bad did what was right in their own eyes. Or did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Eyes can be set on evil. It's it's the eyes of a judge that are blinded by a bribe. It's when you see your brother in need. And you tell him, I'll pray for you. And you, you could help him. But you don't. You see, the eyes in the Garden of Eden. What? convinces Eve to take the fruit. She looks at it, and it looks good. It was pleasing to the eye, and it was desirable for knowledge. And then verse 8 tells us their eyes were opened, and boy, did they see more than they bargained for. The eye reveals the character of the individual, because where the eye is focused, that's where you go. When I was learning how to ice skate, 
I was taught, where you look is where you will go. So if you want to go that way, you look that way, and you will go that way. When you're driving, where you look is where the car is going to go, because you're going to pull the wheel to that side. So look where you want to go, and that's the way you'll drive. You look all over the place, (laughs) you're going to drive all over the place. Right? How much more true is that in the spiritual life? Your eye, verse 34, is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Something interesting happens here. He's talking about the eye being healthy. This isn't just healthy. The word has a couple of different meanings. One of the, one of your, some of your versions may say simple. One of the meanings of this word is simple. Not simple as in easy to fool, but simple as in singularly focused. You're not distracted by everything else. You are focused on the one main thing. When your eyes are focused on the right thing, your body will be full of light. Not only that, another meaning of this word is sincere. Not double-minded. Not speaking out of both sides of your mouth. Two-faced. Someone who's sincere. When your eye is sincere, when you are sincerely looking for truth, when you are sincerely trying to do what's right, your body will be full of light. Because God will always bless the effort to follow Him. Always. There's another meaning here. Not only, not only sincere, but generous. Not looking to be stingy. Looking for where and how to give. Money, yes. Time, stuff. Resources, knowledge wisdom, advice. When we live our lives generously, our body's full of light because God above is generous. And we're just acting like Him. The eye is indicative to the nature of the person. I think Jesus is saying all these things in a sense. When your eye's in good shape, it shows. It doesn't make you holy. It doesn't make you right. It just shows that you are. It shows that you are growing. It shows that you are maturing. It shows that you are living by God's ways. Because you can't hide it. You can't hide who you are. You can't for a little while. You can fool some people. You can fool some, but you can't fool all. And you can't fool them all the time either. The same thing happens with all of us. When someone... Like my wife has eyes that sparkle. It shows that they're in good shape. It shows that they are in, they're healthy. They're feeling good. When eyes are dim, heavy, puffy, droopy, you know they don't feel their best. How much more true is it spiritually? When we come face to face with a crisis, when we're challenged with a trial or tribulation, when we experience a spiritual event of epic proportions, our eyes reveal our souls. They reveal who we are. They don't make us who we are. They just show it. When our eyes are healthy, when they show the vitality and the health and the sparkle, they show that we as spiritual beings are in good shape. But when they don't, when our spiritual eyes are droopy, weak, when they're not focused and easily distracted, they show that we're not in good shape. Rather than being full of light, they show that we're full of darkness. Jesus isn't saying that only healthy-eyed people are spiritually healthy. That's not what he's saying. It's an analogy. 
But what he's saying here is just as your eyes show the shape of your physical body, you have spiritual eyes that show the shape of your spiritual being. And we've got to be careful that those eyes are showing light. And the way we do that is by being full of light, by being children of light and not of darkness, by walking in the day and not in the night, by living according to God's standard, by doing the things that please and honor Him. Y'all know, I could give you a laundry list of things we ought to be doing, the things that we, we should want to do for God. I don't think that's necessary with y'all. I just think that we all need a reminder sometimes that it's easy to become apathetic. It's easy to become spiritually lazy and let someone else do the work. Let someone else experience it. Let someone else do the reading and someone else do the hard parts of spiritual growth. For some, maybe, maybe you're just wore out. Maybe you're tired. Maybe you've been doing this so long. For some, maybe, maybe there's physical problems that are making it harder and harder and harder to be spiritually healthy. For some of you, it might just be that you're still drinking milk and you haven't been eating any meat because you're not ready for it. Let me encourage you this morning, but let me also challenge you. Your eye will show what you're like. If your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. Probably better stated backwards. If your whole body is full of light, then your eye will be healthy. But if not, by the way, have you ever been able to look at a person and tell that they're lying? You ever been able to do that? Yeah. You can tell, can't you? It's the same way spiritually. You spend enough time with someone and you know what they're like. That, by the way, is why we spend time with God. So we can know better what He's like. Jesus continues the thought in verse 35. Therefore, be careful lest the light in you be darkness. Here's the key point. We are to watch out and ensure that we are full of light and not full of darkness. Since the eyes let you see what's inside, we ought to take heed that what's inside is good and not bad. My dad used to say, garbage in, garbage out. You put the wrong thing in, you're going to get the wrong thing out. You cannot put unrighteous things in and expect to get out righteousness. You can't do it. You cannot get out light when what's inside you is darkness. So watch out. Make sure you're full of light. Examine the dusty corners of your heart. Let God shine His light into every nook and cranny of your soul. Expose and deal with the evil that lurks below the surface. In due time, that evil will manifest itself. Deal with it now. Just as Jesus calls us to be careful how to listen, He also calls us to be careful what we're full of, what we're listening to what we watch, what we focus on. For that will shape us on the inside. And what we are on the inside will come out. Verse 36. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. You want to be that light on a stand? Get the light in you first. Now, I'll, I'll, I'll admit to this. This side of heaven, we're not going to be fully bright. This side of heaven... We'll be a little bit dimmer than we should be. No matter how hard we try, there will always be sin to deal with, sin to confess, sin, sin to, to pull us down, but to dim our light. But one day God will finish the sanctification work in us. He will finish what He started and He will make us fully light. But until then, we'll continue. We'll continue to grow and mature. We'll continue to find the dark recesses and illuminate them with the light of God's Word. We'll continue to check our motivations. 
We'll continue to examine our intentions. We'll continue to listen carefully to the right things and to respond in the right ways. In short, we're going to make sure God's light is in us. And that starts with God's light being in you to begin with. Before I knew Christ, I was full of darkness. I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't all kinds of terrible stuff. I mean, I was only nine, but I was still full of darkness. But when God came into me, he birthed in me a light. When, when I asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life, he birthed in my heart a light that has been growing ever since. Now, I'm still not all bright. I still am a little dim. I still have problems. I still have weaknesses. But God's light is shining more today than it was then, and it will continue to shine more and more until the day that He finishes the work, gets rid of all the darkness, and puts the fullness of His light in me. That day when in glory I can stand before Him and sing the song of the redeemed with with multitudes of saints around the throne. Those beautiful worship scenes that are pictured in Revelation. I can't wait to live through some of them. But it all started because I was willing to confess my sin and ask God to repent, to to save me from my sin. I was willing to turn away from it and to turn to Him, to trust Him with everything in me. If you've never done that, you need to this morning. I'm going to be here after the service. Come and talk to me. If you have, then to quote, uh, a, a wise man. I'm not sure which wise man it was, but he was wise enough. You better check yourself before you wreck yourself. Examine your heart. Find the dark places. And let the light of God do its work in you. Let me pray for you. Father, you know our hearts. You know where we are in our journey. Some of us may be early in the journey. Some of us may have not known Christ for very long. Some of us may not have trusted Christ at all. And they need to make that decision today. But the others of us may have been walking with you for a very long time. But Lord, whatever our condition is, whatever, wherever we are in our, in our spiritual journey, I know two things for sure. I know number one, that you want us to walk closer with you. And I know number two, that but for you, we all would be fully dark. It's your light that has helped us to see our need for a Savior, your light that has saved us from our sins, your light that shows us the way to live, makes us more and more holy every day. It's your work in us. May our eyes be full of light as they show your light within us. May we not be walking around in darkness, but as children of light. Help us to honor you. In Christ's name we pray these things. Amen.